Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood and good saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business her here on 94.3 wsc every saturday morning from 7 30 to 8 i'm one of your hosts eric cox here with mr byron stall this saturday morning good morning byron good morning eric Welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Business. People you know, stories you don't. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Glad to be back. Glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, Certainly uh, love having you come in from time to time. Leslie will be back next week, as I know for both you and I, the listeners really want to hear her, not us anyway. So um, tune in next Saturday, you'll hear Leslie. But uh, don't fret, Uh, you won't hear a lot of us today because we have another great guest in the studio, Mr. Robert Seidel, who was with us last Saturday morning. And lo and behold, decided to come back. So I'm glad we didn't run you off, Robert. Well, um, I'm back here again. We're excited yeah. to have you yeah. here today. Uh, in case you did miss it, Robert is uh, one of the or the former president of American Express uh, Japan, as well as head of the uh, Australian New Zealand region. Uh, retired now, living here in Charleston, and uh, spent some really good time with us last Saturday morning, just talking about your journey and your story as it led to you taking this role with American Express and ending up overseas. Uh, I think we were on the front end of an 18-year venture over there, and so we're excited to hear all about what uh, you and Helen and the kids experienced while you were over there. Um, and so real quick before we dive into that, uh, Byron, give us a thought or two of a takeaway you took from Robert's story last week. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of hard to think of one, so I'll just throw two out there. One being you know, listening to Robert's background growing up. He had a real penchant for leadership. He really enjoyed working with other people. And um, secondly, you know, he went to Harvard for his MBA program. And that being said, uh, something that he said that struck a tone was that the most successful recruits that he had at American Express were, in fact, not those from Ivy League schools, but those that were top of their class from uh, public state colleges and institutions. Absolutely. Um, I'm big on quotes, Robert, and uh, I love the fact you said that um, the people that work for you and the people that work work with you will determine and shape your success. And I think that really does lend a lot to culture that's around you, whether it is a corporation as which you worked within or a lot of the entrepreneurs and small business owners we have that come on here. It's all about what you're supported with in terms of personnel. And so uh, thank you for making that point uh, to our listeners. So without delay, why don't we dive back in and uh, get a little quick recap. I think when we left off last week, uh, you guys had just uh, spent five years here in the United States working for American Express, and uh, your first opportunity came to go overseas. Uh, I believe you were looking to go to Europe, and instead? The opportunity came to go to Japan. <laughs> quite so, a difference, right? It, it was quite a difference. and um, But it was it was a great opportunity because uh, it was a big market. It's a very big market for American Express, uh, second only to the U.S. business in terms of uh, numbers of customers. And um, it's um, it, it provided both a, a great business experience and a great cultural experience. And you said this was somewhere around the late 80s, early 90s? Uh, 1988 is when okay. we went over there uh, first. And 
I went over there as uh, head of operations, uh, servicing and credit operations, uh, primarily for the the card business. Um, and um, it was a great, it was a culture shock. Um, I think that people who work in Japan uh, are either black or white about that experience. They either like it or they don't like it. You very finally, very rarely find anyone who says. I'm not sure if I like it or not. I haven't decided. They decide pretty quickly. Um, and I think the people who don't are the ones who want it to be like the United States or Western business. Um, and what you find quickly is that if you want to be successful there, you have to accommodate Japanese ways of doing things within a framework of a Western company. And um, fortunately, I, I, I kind of got that early on. And uh, it turned out to be a really good experience. And I'm sure one of the big elephant in the room questions is moving to Japan. You said that maybe only 5% speak English. Did you have any language experience in Japanese or did you have to learn on the fly? I I had to learn. I had no Japanese at all. I took an hour and a half private lesson every every day for four years, Uh, every morning. I would go to the office early and have the Japanese one-on-one instruction. And, um, and I would never say that I'm fluent in Japanese even today, but um, I learned to get by, and I could understand what was being said at, in the side conference, conferences outside the meeting and uh, in the elevator and able to communicate with employees. And uh, as anyone knows in business, communication is absolutely critical. And if you cannot communicate, especially in – in the local language, in a situation where very few people speak English, um, it's just a non-starter. Uh, plus, it goes a long way to building credibility and commitment uh, for employees to see that you're you're working to, to not only learn their culture, but learn their language and understand uh, business in that country. So, obviously, Beyond the Business is a show about leadership and entrepreneurship and uh, the journey um, that you went on from, again, going from the States to Japan, and even the journey as you acclimated through the ladder there in the corporate environment. Talk about how you developed your skill sets as a leader, um, maybe even a couple of mistakes you made early on uh, that now that you look back, think, wow, uh, a little more tenure in time, I might have done that a little differently. Yeah, well, I would say um, uh, mistakes come back easily. <laughs> <laughs> We like to think about the success, but the mistakes are embedded in your memory. And in the, mis- the biggest mistakes I have probably made have been uh, hiring the wrong people. And, you know, everyone has suddenly has an opening, and it feels like you have to fill the job. You have to uh, – you've got to get things done. You have commitments. But what I learned through um, some rather painful experiences is that it's, it's, it's really important – to take the time to find the right person, the right fit, uh, not only in terms of skill sets, uh, in terms of technical skill sets, but in terms of people, uh, management skill sets, uh, for that person to be successful and to be a colleague and a team player in the organization. And um, fortunately, I learned that fairly early and was able to apply it throughout my uh, later career. Was that famous saying of uh, hire slow, fire fast? Yeah, well, that's that's not a bad one. Yeah, so uh, take that experience for a minute. Again, uh, most of our 
folks that come through here are entrepreneurs. They run their own business. Take what you did as a leader in that realm of, uh, you know, hiring people and apply that to now uh, a business here in the low country. Uh, obviously, the ramifications of wrong personnel in a small business is tenfold, right? So give some advice and thoughts on uh, leaders here in the community, business owners that are listening this morning in regards to making sure they hire the right people. Give them a, a nugget or two of what to look for and what to think about. We're going to put you on the spot I, I, here. This I, I would bit, say, you know, um, fit with the organization. Every organization has its own culture. And, um, you know, whether it's a casual culture, whether it's uh, more of a uh, probably entrepreneurs don't ever want to think of themselves as a bureaucracy, but if it's more of a hierarchical or, or structured organization, you need to find someone who fits. Obviously, that's the given is that they have the technical qualifications, they have the experience to, in order to do the job. But I think cultural fit with the organization is extremely important. And uh, do they have... Can they share the goals of the organization? Are they uh, have they shown that they have in their past experience and what they've done in the past that they uh, they work well as as a member of a team against a common goal? I think those are things that really I, I search for early on, and I look for drive. You know, if who who want to make things happen that that's always been uh, placeholders. Uh, people who just want to maintain the status quo have never been people that uh, I've been attracted to in terms of wanting to work with. So, You know, we had a guest, Byron, I don't know if you were here for this show a while back, that uh, does quite a bit of hiring here in the low country, and he mentioned one of the tools that he looks to quite often in that recruiting process uh, is to turn to their social media sites, to go to their Facebook page and get a feel for what their real culture is like, not just what they're saying in an interview process. And so I think that kind of ties back into what you're saying. Really look at the person in totality. Well, I also, I think that's, that's a good way. And everyone checks social media sites nowadays in hiring. But I also like to ask the question, uh, you know, give me an example of, of a boss that you really have not liked working for and one that you really like working for. And when people ask those questions, you, you can, a lot of times you can really find out what, what it is that motivates them what they what they uh, uh, find to be the kind of again it's part of a culture uh, question I suppose um, what they're looking for in support and a boss and they, that that tells you a lot about them as a potential employee. Is there any red flags that you've looked for or through experience that you found that made them not a good fit? Well, I think the first one obviously is how many jobs over how much how much what period of time if their job skipping even today i understand there's not the uh, a desire to stay with the organizations uh as much as there was in the past but people are skipping jobs every 12 to 18 months you got to ask you know we just a way stop on on your next to your next job um so i, I would say that that's different by industry and in some industries it's it's much more common you and you and that became more of the case as I moved in my career as we hired younger and younger people. They weren't as loyal. So then the question becomes, how do you maximize the return on that investment? If you, if the average uh, new hire in their 20s is only going to stay 18 months, then you've got to start getting some return on that very early on. You've got, they've got to hit the floor and get going 
And if they can't, then you've got to make room for, for, to bring somebody else on. So uh, it's a different environment today, especially uh, uh, young people. They don't have the commitment. You know, unbelievable. They ask questions. Uh, what's the vacation policy <laughs> in the the first, first interview. Inter- the first interview, how much Second time question. off? <laughs> you know, when can I be a vice president? Uh, these kind of questions are, are common now, and so you kind of got to sift through it. And we, we, MX, like a lot of companies, has is revamping the whole way they look at hiring, uh, HR practices, and so forth to accommodate a new way of thinking. It's not wrong. It's just it's different. It's new. Well, you, know? you just it, it reflected. It was going back a ways to to. Uh, the early 90s, I remember uh, somehow I got interviewed and I had just began my first job working for Prudential right out of college. And somebody interviewed me and they asked me the question, what do you want to do ultimately? And I said, I want to own Prudential, not realizing that it was a public company. There's a board of directors and a CEO. So, you know, not knowing is bliss, I guess, at some point, you're just going to go for it. And um, but, yeah, I think times have definitely changed in, in terms of the acumen of, of uh, the, the younger uh I would show that would, that would have shown a lot of, of uh, drive. <laughs> it did show a lot of drive, right. Maybe a little blind drive, but a lot of drive. So, um, Robert, talk about uh, your experience. Like you said, you went overseas. You did. By the way, you went to Japan and overseas at a time where it wasn't necessarily a global economy like it is today, right? Um, and take your family over there, you and your wife, and you go through that experience for such a long time, and then you come back stateside eventually. But what did that experience internationally really mean to you as an individual in your personal development and for you as um, as a to- uh, total family? Well, I think that uh, from a business standpoint, a business experience, it was it was terrifically exciting. It, it was just that you're you're in Asia was growth markets. Every market was growing. Uh, consumers uh, uh, spending power was increasing. Uh, economies were expanding. The opportunities for business were were tremendous, and um, you know, in Japan, the for me, the the biggest opportunity was that our Japanese business had been more or less flat for the previous ten years uh, because we really hadn't dug into what would stimulate, you know, growth in our industry, and um, that was a tremendous opportunity. Uh, in itself, but I think that uh, the growth opportunities was 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 the exciting thing for me uh, from a uh, from a personal standpoint. Uh, living in outside uh, your own country, uh, both for myself and for my family, uh, was was uh, great. I mean, every day you learn something new. You you know, I think if. Someone can live in the suburbs here and drive to work for a week and see the same things, and maybe they don't learn anything new outside of work and business and their work. Then maybe they're learning new things, but just in their in their community or whatever you do, in when you live in a foreign country, you absolutely do learn something new that you didn't know every day. And you know, I have fortunate to live in or work in several different in Japan and in Thailand and working with the Australian organization New Zealand uh, tremendous opportunity for uh, the family and, and for myself and in case you missed uh, our, uh, the start of the show and you're wondering whose story we're listening to uh, that's captured attention is that of Mr. Robert Seidel who again is retired former president of American Express in Japan as well as head of Australia New Zealand regions 
And uh, Byron? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from what it sounds like, what an incredible experience, both personally and professionally. Now, what was that experience like for your wife and kids, having to move to a whole new culture, your kids growing up going to school in Japan? Well, I think they they grew up um, with a completely uh, different perspective on uh, of course, they knew they were Americans, uh, but they really had never lived in the United States. Um, they, I, I'm very happy to say, without without any doubt, they have absolutely no bias uh, against nationalities or any other type. Uh, they they are comfortable anywhere and and everywhere. Uh, they also, I think, for all of us, seeing your country through the eyes of other countries. Uh, was a tremendous um, enlightening uh, and surprising sometimes experience for us. And I think that helps us uh, understand um, a global perspective, especially when it comes to perceptions about American, uh, the, about America. So uh, that was you – know, they, they all have, uh, have a son who still lives in Bangkok – uh, and he married a Japanese woman, so they're probably never coming back mm-hmm. to the states. And uh, my my uh, daughter is works in the international divisions of the Justice Department uh, because of her international experience growing up. Uh, my son uh, is in Tokyo right now, uh, working for a law firm uh, on a summer internship. So they're they're global citizens. Uh, they have U.S. passports. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's really shaped and formed them. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier talking about experiences uh, internationally. I know you guys went through an experience both, I think, at a personal level and certainly from a corporate position at American Express uh, that the uh, the East Japan great earthquake happened while you guys were over there. And it sounded like um, the corporation started a program called Friends of Japan, which really seems like, based on my research, catapulted you in the philanthropy side of things. So talk about what that was, what it meant, and ultimately how that has carried through to who you are today. Yeah, it was, it was um, uh, an unbelievable experience to be there during that that earthquake and tsunami uh, period. Um, the American Express, of course, is very focused on customers, and we looked for what we could do to support customers who were impacted by uh, by this. So. Uh, we we had all kinds of um, programs that we we put out. I mean, basically extending credit to customers, uh, offering assistance. Uh, we we got car automobiles for people. We moved people. Um, we for for customers who weren't affected, who wanted to be uh, in a position to help those in need. We set up a a, a system that you just referred to. That enable them to do that, to donate and participate, and it was really a great. Um, it was a, a devastating experience for for everyone, but it, it, it turned out to be a very good thing that bring bring our staff together uh, to help help the, those that are affected. And uh, yeah, in, in Amex, we we focused our philanthropic efforts on. Uh, we understand through that experience that a lot of these nonprofits that were involved in the uh, the relief efforts really didn't have a lot of organization and leadership uh, depth and uh, and understanding. So we set up a, a program to to teach and train leaders of nonprofits, 
And over the uh, several years, we, we uh, taught hundreds of nonprofit uh, leaders basic management skills that I think have helped them become better and stronger organizations. And as we all know, you ended up moving to Charleston and retiring here in Charleston after retiring from your position over in Japan. Why, why Charleston of all places? Well, we had, um, while we were overseas, we needed a U.S. space. We needed some place for our children to come in the summers and plug in to be Americans other than just having a passport that said they were. So we looked up and down the coast and we vacationed several places and we found we liked Charleston the best. So we bought a, a cottage summer place uh, here and the family would come here for the 10 weeks or so and I would join them for a couple weeks at the end and plug into being Americans, going to Camp St. Christopher and Honanwa Boy Scout Camp and learning what it's like to be an American. Uh, so that's that's how we, we got here originally, and then once we, we had that experience, we found that we really liked it. So when it was time to retire and come back to the States permanently, Charleston bound. And not just bound. You, you get to jump in full on here in Charleston as a, a member of the Social Venture Partners, and not to mention your amazing role over at the Charleston Symphony, along with Byron here. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, what it means to you to be so involved uh, in the community and giving back the way that you do? Well, I think it's obviously you have to have a lot of uh, energy and um, you, you go in, in the corporate world, you're, you're driving 90 to nothing all the time. And I, I drive my wife crazy if I just stayed around <laughs> the house all day. Uh, but at the same time, there's so many opportunities here in Charleston uh, where good things are being done by a number of people, both people who are working, both those who are retired, Social Venture Partners is a terrific organization. For those who are not aware of it, it's kind of a, I think of it as a kind of a venture capital group. There are people uh, contribute, uh, put their money together, and then uh, with that, a larger amount, they can then allocate to support various nonprofits uh, in in the Charleston area and and support them at critical points when they're kicking off their efforts or when they're reaching a plateau and they need to you know, some additional investment to reach the next level uh, or to support their leaders. Um, it's a terrific organization that I'm proud to be part of. Um, the Charleston Symphony um, is a a great organization. I think Charleston is, is extremely fortunate to have um, a symphony of this caliber uh, in a city. In the city, uh, we have Ken Lamb as our musical director, who's a real talent, and we have obviously talented musicians. But this symphony punches way above its weight in terms of quality of performance in its repertoire, um, both in terms of the Masterworks uh, classical series and our pops uh, with principal pops conductor Yuri Becker. Um, they do a terrific job. So it's a great organization to be a supporter on. I'm, I'm happy to serve as president of the board right now. Uh, we have a terrific season coming up. Uh, Rachmaninoff and Beethoven's Fifth and Mozart and um, Aaron Copeland. There's something for everyone in the coming season. I, I would encourage people to, to look into and get, get tickets. And if they haven't been to... Uh, they will be surprised at the kind of experience they will have uh, 
at the Charleston Symphony. Well, I think we would be yeah. remiss, by the way, not to mention, uh, because of the degree and level you, you mentioned that the symphony is at, that uh, Byron's father, late father, Mr. David Stahl, was instrumental, obviously, in bringing the symphony to this uh, elite level that it is today. And so, You're absolutely right. Uh, I, you, you, you got before I could say it. So I'm that, sorry. Uh, I didn't want to take really, away thunder. But the Stahl name is synonymous with the CSO here in Charleston. Yeah. So both of you gentlemen and what you do with the symphony, we are appreciative of from this Byron's community. on the board as well, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if somebody's out there listening and they do want to get involved or they want to participate in some upcoming events with the symphony, what's the best place to uh, get some information on that? Well, obviously you can vi- visit the website. Uh, or you can go on to Facebook and instrument, Instagram. We're, we're on both those uh, social media sites as well. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot to see in, uh, in terms of offerings uh, throughout the year. Well, unfortunately, we're about to run out of time. But before we do, I'm going to steal a little of Leslie's thunder. She's not here to do it, so I promise you I won't do the service. But again, the, the, the uh, tagline of our show is people you know and stories you don't. And uh, certainly uh, we want the opportunity to dive in a little bit deeper, Robert, to, to who you are. And so I'm going to ask you just a couple of quick, I call it lightning round questions. First thing that comes to your mind, shout it out. Uh, and we'll start off with uh, the first one, which is name something that's on your bucket list. On my bucket list. I want to do the Trans-Siberian Railroad trip from Vladivostok to Moscow. Wow, we haven't had that one here on the show yet. I like that. Uh, something that you are uh, most proud of? Uh, my children. Good I'm answer. Good answer. Yeah. A book that has been instrumental in your life? Uh, or that you would recommend for reading? Well, I read recently The um, uh, the Four, which is about Apple, Google, Amazon, and uh, Facebook. Uh, a very interesting book about um, those companies and what it portends for the future. Very relevant yeah. where yeah. we are today, right? Yeah. And the last one is maybe a little nugget about you that most people that even maybe know you here in Charleston don't know about you. Is there a, a quirk you have, a habit, somewhere you've been, something you've done that would be kind of intriguing to know? Probably uh, many people don't know. Maybe I g- gave off a little bit of the in terms of the first answer, but uh, I'm a real Russian history fanatic i i'm it's one of my hobby areas and i i really love russian history uh, it's a very unusual uh very strange place in many ways uh, current events aside um <laughs> but uh it's something that i've always been interested in since i was in high school good to know That's we have a source here in charleston if we need any dialogue in that area sure. so, robert sidell again thank you for your time uh, both last week and this week we really appreciate your story um, Robert Seidel, again, is the retired but yet former president of American Express in Japan. And, uh, again, we just appreciate you sharing your story with our listeners today. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks for a great show, Robert. Byron, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, our listeners, if you happen to miss last week's show or any of our previous shows, simply go to the website at coastalwm.com. Click on the radio icon, and you'll hear not just Robert's podcast, but all those, again, from our last four years. Again, we appreciate you taking the time every Saturday morning to tune the dial to 94.3 to listen to Beyond the Business. And until next week, Charleston, please be safe and enjoy your week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 7.30 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.